I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the I Like It Spooky podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. And I'm Clint. And my mom says that what I lack for in talent, I make up with personality. No, no responses there. They they must they must agree with my mother. <laughs> She's a wonderful lady. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into today's movie, uh, let's go into the news. Let's talk about what's going on. Uh, so word has it that uh, Scream 6 is slated to come out in March of 2023. Uh, Jenna Ortega, Melissa Barrera, who played Sam, um, Jasmine Brown, who played Mindy, all coming back. No word on Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, any of those. Not sure if they're coming back, but principal photography is supposed to start sometime this summer. Would be exciting. Also hearing that Matthew Lillard may be back. Not sure how that's going to go, but it would be interesting. I know they talked about him coming back with the last movie, but of course he didn't. No, last time I saw Stu, he had a TV shoved on his head. I don't know how that's going to work. Because <laughs> we got a, the other killer from the original movie was back in the last movie and the flashbacks and the ladies kind of psychotic breaks. Billy Loomis. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they bring him back. They can do anything. I mean, as long as it's better than Scream 3, we're good. I watched all four of them, and I can't remember if the third one... The third one was the worst one. That's where she goes to Hollywood and has the illegitimate brother. And Yeah, that was. I was like, this is ridiculous. And then they kind of brought it back with four, and then five was good. Maybe that's kind of their low point, is Scream 3. I remember you guys covered Scream before I came on the, on the show here, and I think Scream 4 was, was one of the least favorites of everybody on the show, if I remember right. I love Scream 4, and maybe it's just because it was shot in Michigan. Um, but I thought it was, it was a neat way to jump back into the story. I, I enjoyed the, the story. Like I said, I watched all four up, come, going up to the newest one, and I thought it was... I enjoyed two the most, and then one, and then four, and then three. Just because I enjoy something doesn't mean it's the best movie of the series. It just was the one I enjoyed the most. I know I've seen some of your taste in movies, well, but then again, those are I have the same taste. So <laughs> we're the only two people in the world that like the Incredible Melting Man. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> Still haven't watched it. Should have done it this weekend. Damn it! I think I have it on DVD. Maybe I'll have to find it. If so, I'll send it to you so you can check it out. Okay, sweet. But you only get to see pictures of my toy. You can't have the toy. You can't touch it. You, can just look. <laughs> you can't touch his Melting Man. Only oh. Melissa can. spoiler alert everybody melissa is the old lady oh she has a name yeah i think we finally are transitioning away from the old lady jokes that's half our material what the fuck are we going to do with the rest of this podcast the episodes are going to be like 30 minutes long (laughs) (laughs) brian what do you got going on in the news so uh bloody disgusting uh, reported that D. Snyder is directing a new horror movie this year. So it sounds like D. Snyder, who directed uh, Strange Land back in 1998, and he's a, a rock legend, you know, from Twisted Sister. We're not going to take it. My next scary movie I wrote and I'm directing is greenlit and starts pre production in four weeks. 
sounds like COVID's kind of slowed it down with, you know, kind of like it slowed everything down, but kind of excited. I, I did watch Strange Land. It's been a while, but I remember him starring in it and I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Maybe he'll dress up as a, you know, his character from the Twisted Sister days and chase people around and kill them. I don't know. What was he in Strange Land? He was Captain Howdy. I don't remember much about it. I should revisit that one, but I remember watching it and being like, what the hell? He had like red hair and like a whole bunch of piercings in his lip and his nose and his eye. And then all, the whole side of his body was um, tattooed. And I think the other side was scarred, maybe. It, when the movie came out, it was kind of revolutionary because it was timely because you know the internet was still early on and everybody was still in AOL chat rooms and stuff, which is what... You know, that's how Captain Howdy would, would lure his victims. And you know, that, I mean, body modification and tattooing and piercings had kind of exploded in the mainstream. So, you know, that was kind of an underlying theme. Great story. I met Dee Snyder at Motor City Nightmares a few years back. I mean, most people say this when they meet celebrities, but hell of a nice guy. You know, he had a line down the, down the floor of people waiting to see him, and he took the time to sit there and chat with you. And I have this uh, big cardboard almost like a 3d poster from a video store for strange land that I brought with me that he signed and everything. And oh, awesome. he, he did a Q, he did a Q and a at that convention talking about how he wanted to do strange land too. And everybody's been clamoring for strange land too for a long time. And I, I think I read the same news article that you were talking about, Brian. And he even mentioned that at the end, like, like the hope for captain howdy to live is, is still there. So hopefully one day, well, I mean, I think we forget how important Dee Snyder is just in general to this community, even outside of his movies. I mean, he went in front of Congress when they were trying to censor music and spoke in front of Congress, kind of got that movement stopped and allowed probably what we're seeing in the horror community to be happening today. We're going to censor music. And if they censor music, they don't stop there. They censor books, they censor movies, they censor everything. So he was a part of that stopping that censorship. I love watching that. D Snyder versus Tipper Gore. If if you guys haven't checked that out, just Google it, go on YouTube and just type in D Snyder versus Tipper Gore. Cause D Snyder, he, he like walks in, you know, waltzes into the courtroom. And I mean, he just looks like a rock. So he didn't have all leather on and stuff, but he just, he did not dress for the occasion. And I'm sure everybody in that room was shocked when he opened his mouth and was uber intelligent, made his points, well-spoken, articulate. And everybody's like, Oh shit. <laughs> what do we say now? You know, he's no John Denver, but yeah, he's all right. Well, speaking of musical acts, I was cruising through the news and found out that um, on June 24th in Dallas, Texas, Necromantics is going to be performing, and they are going to be with Amplified Live, uh, the Wee Beasties, and the Chilling Archives. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of the Necromantics, they're kind of like a, a psychobilly horror-themed band. A lot of great music. They've done a lot of great music over the years. So if you are in the Dallas, Texas area on June 24th, uh, you can check them out. It's an all-ages show. And you can find the event on Facebook. I just You just type in Necromantics Events on Facebook, and it'll take you to the June 24th Dallas, Texas show. 
I mean, I'm not sure where they got that name. I guess you could pull it from about any horror movie or just in general people that love to sleep with dead bodies. But I always think of, you know, one of the early, you know, we're going back to my early movie days where uh, I watched Necromantic on Arrow Video where the guy works for the city or whatever and they clean up dead bodies and he takes a dead body home and him and his wife proceed to fall in love with the dead person and his wife leaves him for the dead body. Have you ever seen that, Jason? No. Oh my God. Brian's talked about it and it's, and then there's like a sequel also, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There is a sequel. I haven't seen the sequel, but I have seen the original a couple times. Um, and yeah, it's at, at one point the, uh, the, the penis of the, the corpse kind of like falls off or isn't usable anymore. So they screw like a wooden dowel rod in to use and they cut the post off the bed. Crazy shit. They make in Germany. I think that was in Germany where they, they were picking up, they were picking up people off the Autobahn when they had a car crashes. We need to cover that on the show for like a shock, shock episode. Necromantics. Yeah. And the, and at the end of the first movie, husband dies, wife in the second movie digs him up because she's in love with dead bodies, I guess. It's a love story. It's yeah. a love story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Well, I'll, I'll wait until we decide we're going to cover it. <laughs> to watch it. <laughs> Screw it. We're, we're, we're going to cover it next episode now. now I actually okay. I don't care if we do or not. I'm just going to go watch it right now. But I'll see you guys later. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what we found in the news right now. So let's get back over to Jason with the financial report. Oh, financial report, we're still broke. And let me tell you why. Uh, we still love buying stuff. Uh, myself this week, I got in. Uh, I'm a big Halloween fan, if nobody knows. If nobody knows, they what? really don't listen I to this episode that. or this podcast. Oh. Um, but they came out with a Halloween art book. And by the time I found out about it, it had been pushed back a couple times. So I was like, oh, let me just kind of wait and see when it comes out. They had two different copies, a limited edition one that was in a cool slip cover and a regular one. And by the time I finally, it started shipping, I finally got around to ordering it. I could only order the regular version, which was cheaper. So it's, it's fine with me. And I still saw all the cool art that they had in there. Uh, it's just a Halloween book full of fan art posters, like every page. If you don't like to read like me, just flip through, look at the pretty pictures. I never learned how to read. <laughs> Uh, and then also, I guess, you know, this is brand new to me, but I got the Fright Rags uh, Halloween three-pack of toys. It was, well, it's not a three-pack, but I they came out in three pieces, and I ordered all three. But I actually ordered them a year ago, so my money's been gone a year, but I just got them in the mail this week. Is that the PJ Souls action figure that you showed me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know that was from Fright Rags. That's cool. Yep, yep. So they came out with a Michael, Lori, and Linda, which it's Linda's. I think first probably ever action figure toy. So I thought I, I that's the one I was most excited for. So I got that one, and I'll meet PJ Souls in Chicago this year. Hopefully, uh, she doesn't cancel. I'm going to be there. I'm not going to cancel. Nobody comes to see me, so it's whatever. I'd pay to see you. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to take that and have it signed, and that's pretty much what I picked up. What about you guys? So um, we were at recently at Midwest Monster Fest, where people didn't pay to come see you, but 
there was a lot of people talking to you at the table. You talked more than I did, which I think is kind of weird because I get going and I don't stop. I'm just blah, 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 blah. Oh, it, was, it was a great weekend. Oh, I had such a blast. Such a blast. Um, but I picked up a few things there. I'm going to pull a Jason here and talk about multiple things and try not to take up the whole segment, though. <laughs> I got a couple things actually from Brian's personal collection. For those of you that were not at Midwest Monster Fest, I Like It Spooky podcast had a table at the event. And then Brian and Jason also brought some things from their personal collection to sell and just, you know, make some money on the side and or trade off with other collectors. And so Brian brought a couple things that I was interested in. And the first thing is this NECA Nightmare in Elm Street. It was an official GameStop piece. It's, you know, Freddy Krueger as he was the mid to late 80s Nintendo video game, which was a terrible freaking video game, but like the only game that ever had Freddy Krueger in it. So you had to play it. I've been wanting this piece for a while. Brian gave me a hell of a deal on it. And then he was also selling this awesome trioxin barrel koozie from Return of the Living Dead. It's a thick green koozie. It says Property Department of the Army, just like the barrel in the movie. Uh, luckily, drinking from it, I haven't turned into a zombie yet. So, And then I got two more things. Sticking with the Freddy theme, I've had my eye on this for a while. And there was a vendor there who I don't remember the name of the vendor. But they had from Metal's Diecast this uh, Freddy Krueger car. It's the 1958 Cadillac Series 62 that's in the end of the first movie when you think Freddy's been defeated and all the kids are riding off in this red car. And then all of a sudden the top closes and it's the color of Freddy's sweater. And so that's pretty cool. That's yeah, um, awesome. What is the scale on this thing? I'm not good at scales. It's not a little matchbox car. It's it's a decent-sized car, and then there's a little Freddy Krueger action figure with it. And then lastly, I don't know if anybody else besides me is a fan, but I've always been a huge fan of the Max. I don't know if anybody remembers on MTV in the, the late 90s, they had the Max animated series based off the comic books. And same thing, there was a vendor there who had a, a decent price on this. It's something I've always wanted. And I was back and forth. Jason was actually going to, he kept teasing me. He's going to go over there and buy it because I told him it was there. He goes, oh, I'm going to go get that. You stay away from my freaking toy, buddy. So I was kind of back and forth if I was going to get it. And then finally, Melissa slipped over there when I wasn't looking and, and picked it up for me. So so now my wallet's poor. Her wallet's poor. The, the whole house is just poor. So if you guys want to donate, you can just send some money to my PayPal. I'll give you the address at the end of the show. I got to throw in one more thing. I'm sorry. So I was just at another Halfway to Halloween show here in Michigan after Midwest Monster Fest. And I told myself if I did good, then I was going to get the Return of the Living Dead poster from, what is it, Brian? Moon? Full Moon Arts. Full Moon Arts. They've got this cool print where the majority of the poster is the party time skeleton that jumps, pops out of the grave in the beginning of the movie when the zombies first come out. And then the mohawk is actually the, the characters from the film. And I've wanted one forever. And then when I was at Midwest Monster Fest and hanging out with Brian and Jason, I saw they each had it. And I'm like, well, I got to have one too. <laughs> so I, I did well at the convention and I, I just ordered that and I bought a frame for it. So that'll be Hell showing yeah. up here soon too. Jason and I actually ordered it together. I got the variant and he got the regular. And then I've seen his regular and I was like, oh, I should have got both of them. Damn it. Not that I have the room. You know, I was like, oh, I love that. I think mine's the red one and his is green and mm -hmm. um, the variants sold out, but they did have some of the um, regular edition left. So that's what you ordered, Clint. It, I, I did. I got the green. That's the one I wanted to, the green. It's, it's pretty. Yep. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I mean, the artwork's amazing. And 
great, simple piece, but beautiful in its simplicity. You know, it doesn't need to do anything crazy to be great. It is. It's weird. I never thought I would describe a horror movie poster as as elegant, especially with a movie like Return of the Living Dead. But it is. It's an <laughs> elegant piece. It's beautiful. So, and when I ordered that, there um, it said low stock, and I don't think that was a, a gimmick. So, if anybody listening wants to pick it up, Brian, what what, what was it again? Full Moon Arts. Full Moon Arts. Look them up on Facebook or Google it, and you can yeah, grab one yourself. Yeah, it's a Japanese company that you know released it, and it kind of gets stuck in Chicago for a while, or wherever you get your stuff from overseas goes to. But Customs is getting a lot better about getting stuff out. So pick one up, everybody, and be poor with us. <laughs> Misery loves company. I think last episode, Jason talked about you know taking a little break and saving some money. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, and then uh. You know, my wallet's down like the stock market because Jason <laughs> sent me a Joe Bob poster. He's like, oh, I was looking at this guy's artwork because he did some of the artwork for a Halloween thing that I bought. He did the official season four Joe Bob print. And I'm like, oh, really? So I go look at it and I'm like, Ugh. so he's got an 11 by 17 season four print that will fit perfectly next to my I'm not sure what season this is other Joe Bob print that's autographed. So I have, I ordered one and I have it hopefully coming soon and I can see Joe Bob this year and have him and hopefully Dar Darcy sign this one. And then I got another 11 by 17 print at a Midwest Monster Fest and I got it signed by the artist, Joel Robinson. It's the Scream Factory print of Return to Living Dead and it's you know, 11 by 17. It's a perfect size. Joel signed it. He was a super nice guy. Um, and he actually told me that he did two versions of the poster. One is with Linnea in clothes. Ooh. And one is this one that she's naked. So I haven't Yay. taken the time to look. But I believe in the Scream Factory poster that was with the movie and on the cover, she has clothes on. And then in this Ooh. print, she's naked. So, of course, <laughs> he had this one at the show. So I picked it up and he autographed it and, you know, talked for a little bit. Super nice guy. I, I already shared it on the I Like It Spooky socials so everybody could see it. And I, I tagged his page, so go check out his art. He did the um, Scream Factory release for the Halloween stuff that just came out. He did the artwork on those. Yeah, all the 4K. Yeah, yeah, all the 4K stuff. And somehow I bought it, but Jason, who loves Halloween, didn't buy the deluxe set. But I bought the deluxe set. I have the, the records and the posters and everything. Well, because I'm still holding out hope to get the Scream Factory posters from you. For me, oh, okay. And when I like, if uh, my wallet starts crying, I'm like, okay, I need some money. Yep, we'll be in Pennsylvania next month, and I'll be like, hey, oh, you need some money? You need some money? There yeah. you go. You need Slide those posters over here. You need to buy a tar man. <laughs> I saw quite a few pieces in Jason's horror den that I wouldn't mind picking up. So if you ever get hired up, brother, you just let me know, and I'll uh, I'll try to talk Brian into buying some of it for me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then the last thing I uh, picked up at. Midwest Monster Fest is this amazing candle um, from Ink Mares. Go to inkmares.com, check out their candles. Jason got a stuffed candle. They had a Hellraiser candle that was awesome, but I got a Return to Living Dead candle. Kind of looks like the trioxin barrel. It's green. It's got the you know the property of the U.S. Army and the phone number. You look at the lid. It's got the tar man. You open it up. It's got like the bubbles coming out of it. I'm not going to burn it just because it's a collection piece and I don't want to burn it because I just have to buy another one to put back in my collection. But yeah, it's an awesome candle and it's sitting right up there between one of the green koozies that Clint has 
and a Return of the Living Dead baseball cap that I have. So looks great under all my posters right there. And like I said, go to inkmares.com. You can check out their t-shirts and their candles. And I got a You Need a Medical shirt there at Midwest Monster Fest. Usually I don't do that well at conventions with Return of the Living Dead stuff. But I did leave there with quite a bit. I was happy. Hey, question on that Joe Bob print that you're talking about. Is that yeah. the, the same picture that you posted a while back where him and Darcy are in the car? No, no. This is one that uh, th- this guy did one like the official print for the this season. So it's Joe Bob. I'd have to look it up. It's Joe Bob. And he's usually standing over like a drive-in and there's cars there. They do one. I believe they do one every year. So I was just asking because if, if no one's seen it, Brian, uh, I don't know, this is a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, a while ago, Brian shared a picture of, actually, I think it was the uh, Joe Bob season four premiere, and Brian shared a picture, because um, he's a Joe Bob fan, obviously, which is cool, and it was Joe Bob and Darcy in a car, and kind of looked like they were in the desert heading to Vegas, or away from Vegas, or something, so I photoshopped Brian's head over Joe Bob's, <laughs> and it was absolutely stellar, it was hilarious. It was great. Yeah, we, we, we do a lot of posting on the, um, the socials especially Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Um, but if you get a chance, scroll back a few, hop on the I Like It Spooky podcast Facebook page and scroll scroll back a week or so or something, and you'll see it. It's hilarious. Yeah, this poster is from SlasherDesign.com, and it's got Joe Bob. He's got some popcorn there. It's got a, a truck and a Corvette. Looks like the Corvette that they're in, maybe, driving away from a screen that's got a ghost and an alien-like spaceship coming out of it, um, says drive-in. It'll go, it's 11 by 17. It'll fit perfect next to the one that I have that's already autographed by him and Darcy. And it's right above where I record the podcast at and kind of do my stuff at. Cool. So I I guess we've uh, come up with is we're all still spending way too much money. We need to start saving some yeah. money. Well, it doesn't help when the people you, that you're on a podcast with that are your friends <laughs> see stuff and then they just send it to you and like, oh, you should buy this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or when you're at a convention and somebody's like, oh, did you see that Max figure? I remember watching that show. I really liked it. And then you're like, what? I like Max. <laughs> you're like, I think maybe, again, I'll just try to save money by, by sending you links of stuff to buy me. Not things buy that you. I should buy. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. didn't, you get a, didn't you get something at Midwest Monster Fest? Like a birthday gift or something like that? Oh, man. Now he's making me feel terrible. I forgot <laughs> to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> so at Midwest Monster Fest from Brian, I got a late birthday present. He got me a, a Blu-ray of Night of the Demons because he listens and he cares and he pays attention. And he heard on the last episode we recorded where we were talking about Night of the Demons that I, I don't own it on physical media. So he got me a Blu-ray. And he also got me, uh, was it a blue? That's a Blu-ray also of a happy, happy birthday to me. I haven't had a chance to watch him yet, so they're still sitting in the in the covers, so... So thank you, Brian. I find them at Menards. They're in like the $5 bin, but I just love the slip. It's like the old VHS cover slip. You're not supposed to tell someone how much you paid for the birthday gift. Oh, wow. Well. <laughs> I think the tag was still on it. Yo, know, that, that's like for my birthday. Jason sent me. It's sitting right here. I forget the title of it. The Ad Nauseum uh, Newsprint Nightmares from the 70s and 80s book. And uh, I don't know how much he paid for that. He probably found it next to the $5 movies, though. Really? I appreciate the gift, and I love you, man, but it's going up on eBay right when we get done here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. Oh, wow. Well, since we know why we're all poor, let's send it over to a sponsor. 
I'm crazy Cletus, as most of you know. <laughs> I started selling T-shirts. That's right. Just go to inkmirrors.com. That's I-N-K-M-A-R-E-S.com. <laughs> Where you can order T-shirts. Cletus did mention that you can also purchase Inkmere's hand screen print horror themed t-shirts and handmade horror themed candles, buttons, and vinyl decals at horror conventions across the country. You can find Inkmere's on Facebook, Instagram at ink.mirrors, and youtube.com slash corpsebark. And remember, I'm Crazy Cletus, and I want to see you in a t-shirt. For sakes, who writes this? T-shirts. So we did get a question this week. We got it from Brian Clark. I know Brian Clark. Awesome guy. He actually writes for a, one of the horror magazines out of the United Kingdom. So he's very well versed in uh, horror movies. And he loves Godzilla, Clint. So you got to be nice to him. I won't, I mean, uh, I won't hold it against him. I'm not the biggest Godzilla fan. But, you know, like I said last episode, it takes all kinds to make this machine go round. So Mr. Clark, his question is, what was the last movie that genu- genuinely frightened you? I don't mean a jump scare startling you, but a movie that left you feeling unsettled and nervous to walk across a darkened room. That's a damn mm. good question. What creepy, Super huh? good. Huh. What about you guys? So when I heard this question, I knew right away like what it was because this movie still kind of, when I think back to it, I think it was just the time that I watched it. And then, so it, anyway, it's It Follows. So have you seen that, Clint? No, I know of it, and um, Melissa's watched it, so I've seen a couple scenes here and there, but I haven't watched the whole thing. So what really got me is I just felt like really unnerved by not knowing who the killer is because it kept changing how it looked. So was you having a lot of unprotected sex at that time? I was going to say that had something to do with sexually <laughs> transmitted diseases, right? I mean, that's pretty scary on its own. <laughs> it wasn't diseases, but that's how you passed it on was by having sex. Like, so if... It would. They would go after that person you just had sex with. It wasn't. It wasn't really that. It was just the whole creepiness of it. We watched it late one night. What really got me is I left and I went out out of our house. I instantly got like I was scared. Like I I don't get scared really. Like it's you know I mean if you had a snake or something I I don't like snakes or stuff like that. I would get scared. But I walked out of the house and I was I was I was kind of terrified. She wanted me to run to McDonald's and get her like some fries and a drink or something. So I drove down there, uber paranoid the whole time, <laughs> thinking that something was out to get me. Because it, it was late at night and it just, I think it was just the time that I watched it and then that, it still has an effect on me to this day. And I think I was sitting there at the drive through an employee like was walking out to their car. <laughs> And I did not take my eyes off this fucker. I like sat there and watched them and make sure they're not coming at me. That movie just got me. It was. It didn't necessarily. It didn't necessarily give you a creepy vibe. More of like a, a paranoid. Yeah. Well, paranoid, creepy. No, it, it was. It was scary. Like I know it's paranoia, but I, I was. I was kind of scared. And just think, it was a great premise. I love the movie. Got a great soundtrack. Yeah. 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 And that instantly came to mind was like that moment when we watched it and all that. I'm going to have to check it out because, I mean, you guys know, and anybody listening to this podcast is obviously a horror fan. So they know it's it's so hard to 
find something unnerving or unsettling after a while you become numb and you're just used to the storylines so yeah i mean if that freaked you out um i'm gonna check it out yeah do it Uh, there's a funny story about it follows so my son's 16 and i was like oh let's watch a movie and he's like okay i was like we're gonna watch it follows so we get like 25 minutes into it and i'm like you know i'm tired i'm gonna go to bed and he's like i've been sitting here this whole time wondering where that fucking clown and them kids are and i was like what do you mean the clown and the kids? He's like, you know, the clown, it. And I was like, Jack, this is not <laughs> it chapter two. This is it follows. He's like, I'm so confused. I was looking for that clown the whole movie. <laughs> I was like, oh my oh, Lord. That's hilarious. <laughs> that dummy thought it was a sequel. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It follows. Like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like but a... <laughs> I was like, no, this is not the same movie. This is not it chapter two. There's no clown in this movie. <laughs> I was like, Lord. Well, did you guys hear about the the It series that's going to be coming out? Welcome to Dairy. Huh. Oh, I had heard something about that. Yeah, I'm yeah. cutting it. I'm cutting into our segment here, but I have to because I uh, I want it. Damn it! I don't know if it's like going to be an HBO Max. I can't remember where it's going to be, but coming out soon, it's going to be you know a series, and it's going to be I don't think it's It Follows, but it's just no, it's what called Welcome to Dairy, and it's all about pre the story that we've seen and stuff. So that, that's going to be cool to see the beginning of Pennywise. Yeah, so I had I was kind of like Jason at first. I'm like, I don't know what I'm a parent, so and Clint's a parent. My I have a little one, so you know maybe it's a little harder on me. But the last movie that actually unsettled me, didn't scare me, was I rewatched Pumpkinhead, and I'm just like, this is rough. The guy carrying around the dead child and the blanket half the movie was really hard on me. But the last movie to maybe scare me was the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just something about that movie, the one with Jessica Biel. And him in general, not maybe the original, but some of the other movies, That the sound of the chainsaw and just his look, and that it could be real. Like a lot of the stuff we watch, it's not going to happen. Night of the Demons isn't going to happen. Friday the 13th, the later ones, maybe the original and the second one would happen, but the later ones, that's not really going to happen. Text Chainsaw Massacre could happen. Like, there could be a guy with a chainsaw going around cutting people up and cooking them. Put them in barbecue sauce or beef jerky or, <laughs> you know, chili or whatever. That could really happen. I mean, it's loosely based on true events, but it could really happen. A lot of, you know, Halloween, the first one could probably happen. But by the time we're at the one we're at now, I mean, let's be honest. Michael's not going to kill 20 firefighters and get shot and stabbed and, all, and still be going. And going strong, that's not really going to happen. He would if he no. was a Halloween 3 super bot. Well, yeah, yeah, if he's a Halloween <laughs> 3 super bot. You know, but a lot of the stuff isn't really going to happen. Even Jaws, as scary as Jaws is, like, I don't, I'm not going in the ocean. No, I'm good. Like, I, I'll put my feet in there, but I'm not going far <laughs> enough out that Jaws can get me. That's, there's not going to be a super shark going around eating 20 people on a weekend. That's, the odds of that happening are astronomical. Fourth of July weekend. Yeah, Fourth July weekend. Connecticut or Amityville, wherever they were at. Yeah, like, I would go with that Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just something, kind of like Jason said, something about the first time I watched it, and it just hit me just right, and I was like, ugh, I don't know if I can watch this whole movie. I'm just scared. Like, I think I took the trash out, and I was like, somebody probably went by on a motorcycle, and I was like, oh, fuck, he's coming. (laughs) I ran back in the house. I was like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fuck that nope <laughs> what about you Clint you know I've got a few there, there's that, probably the scariest thing I've ever seen that's not even horror related and that is um, Taken with Liam Nielsen 
Um, and that was scary for me when that came out. Um, I've got three daughters now at the time I had one, I think she was three or something. And I remember I put her to bed. It was a Saturday night and I go out and I'm watching this movie and it just, it scared the shit out of me because all I could think to myself is if this were to happen to me, she'd be gone. My, my daughter would be gone there. I didn't have that skill set. I didn't have FBI CIA <laughs> connections. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then it yeah, just, yeah. It, it got even more unnerving as you watch him, um, go overseas to try to find her and, and dig into this world of, you know, um, of corruption and porn and, um, you know, just exploited women. And so, I mean, that, that movie scared the shit out of me as far as being a parent, but as far as horror, I've actually, I've got a few, but, um, like the entities, one of them, but it's all supernatural stuff for me. And one of them is a movie called the haunted and it came out in the nineties and it was a made for TV movie. It, oddly enough, it, it stars, well, not stars, but one of the daughters in the film is, played Helen in Night of the Demons, which was the last episode that we covered. So that's kind of a cool little tie-in. And it also stars uh, the guy who played, um, I'm forgetting his name now, he was in The Walking Dead, the old guy in the first couple seasons there. Scott Wilson, he played Herschel. Not Herschel, there was the other guy, the guy that drove the RV. But anyway, um, I saw this movie when I was a kid. It's just scary. It was based on a true life, supposed true life story of a family being haunted after they move into a home in Pennsylvania. And then, uh, you know, they, of course, it escalates and then they try to leave. And, you know, the, the spirit has attached itself to them and follows them. And I don't know what it is, but it always stuck with me. And years had gone by and I could remember scenes from the movie, but I couldn't remember the name. I didn't know who acted in it. I didn't know where I saw it. There was just scenes. And so I was always trying to find this movie. And about a month ago, I came across it again, and I'm sitting there watching it. I think someone had posted a picture of it on Facebook, and I'm like, hey, that's, I think that's it. And I'm watching it, and it was that was the movie. And I got the same chills and goosebumps that I did you know, 20-plus years ago the first time I watched this. But what's interesting about it and not, not scary about it is I noticed that it happened in Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, I and uh, we've been involved with the Valentine Bluffs fan film that's coming out soon. Well, that's that film was shot around there. Valentine Bluffs, the fan film was shot around Pittsburgh and the director, Thomas Smith lives in Pittsburgh. And so I was kind of put two and two together. So I sent him a message. I was like, have you ever seen this movie or heard of it? This happened like right down the road from where you fucking live, you know, and he had never heard of it. And then it was funny about an hour later, he starts sending me pictures. He threw his kids in the car and they, he had done some quick research and they drove by the house and were taking pictures. They went on a little (laughs) field trip, you know? So that that was fun. Him and I were chatting back and forth about that. Um, so yeah, for me, it's supernatural stuff. And the other one that got me is um, it ties in with the second question we got this week. Earlier this week, uh, Robert Costo, I don't know if it's Costo or Costo. I'm thinking it's Costo. Robert Costo sent us uh, a message on a Facebook Messenger asking if we knew anything about if a fourth Rings movie, you know, the movie The Ring, if a fourth one was coming out. I don't know if you guys know anything. I saw it and did some research and I shot him a message back that I didn't know anything about a fourth movie coming out in the Ring series. Uh, Rings 3 came out in 2017 and was kind of like a prequel. But so when I saw the first Rings or first Ring movie, I worked at a pharmacy. My uh, now ex-wife worked in the back and her and I hadn't really talked. I worked in the front. She worked in the back and just out of the blue one day, she comes up with copy of the ring and hands it to me and she says have you ever seen this movie i hear you like the horror movies and stuff and i was like no she said well do you want to watch it and i go oh sure so she hands me this movie it's kind of weird we never talked 
I didn't really know her. I go home that night. I pop the movie and I'm watching it. And I realize as I'm watching it, it's about the movies about handing the movie on to someone else. So you don't die. And I'm going, Holy shit. I don't even know this woman. And she's, she's trying to kill me, you know? And then there's a scene in the movie where there's like a ladder leaned up against the wall for no reason. And at the time I had a giant kitchen and I had this big ladder leaned up in against the wall in my kitchen. Cause that was the only place I had to store it. And then there's a scene in that movie about halfway through where they're on the ship going over to the Island or whatever, where it had all started. And there's a one frame flash of a ring. And I saw it. And by now I'm just creeped out because of everything that's going on with, you know, watching this. So then I'm like questioning myself, like, is that real? You know, was I supposed to see that? Did they put that in there? What's going on? You know, uh, so that movie scared the shit out of me the first time I saw it just because of the circumstances. Ghostly stuff spooks me out. Yeah, I showed that movie to my daughter. We were watching it one day and she she couldn't handle it. She was like, OK, no, this no, no, this it's too much. So she actually left and she's. 18 she was probably 17 at the time but yeah yeah she didn't like that one either it, it is that supernatural stuff that's the the first girl that they discovered dead in the closet there and her face is all contorted and she's just pale it's just creepy you know but mm-hmm. i mean i could watch it now no problem but like i say everything that that happened how i watched it the first time was scary as shit yep yep kind of reminds me of the eddie murphy skit where he's talking about poltergeist where uh He's like, yeah, my daughter was in the TV. I tried to save her. I turned the channel and everything. (laughs) You can have the house. That's why I always thought of the ring. I was like, this bitch climbs out of my TV. I'm trying to watch the game or something. I'd kick her back in the TV and turn the channel. Like, come on. I was in the middle of the game. Like, what are we doing? I remember that Eddie Murphy delirious. He was like Amityville. He was like, I don't get it. He's like, white people walk in the house and see blood in the toilet and shit. And they're like, oh, this house is so beautiful. I love it here. Time to go, honey. Yeah, hey, I'd walk in the house and it'd be like, get off. I'm like, ooh, bitch, we gotta go. You know? Yep. <laughs> that was a funny segment. Uh-huh. So now we know why we're all scared of. We're scared of everything. A little bit of everything. You get us all together. Clint's gonna be scared of ghosts. I'm gonna be scared of Leatherface. And Jason's scared of the It Follows. We're screwed. We're, we're not going to make it. All I know is I want to thank uh, thank everybody for the questions. I mean, here we are uh, shortly into, you know, asking people to send us questions, no matter how off the wall they are. And, uh, you know, now we're up to multiple questions an episode. That's that's pretty cool. We didn't talk about our uh, any of our body parts this week, so that's always a plus. <laughs> <laughs> it's still early. You set the stage. Tony Miller's coming back. Revenge of Tony Miller, part two. <laughs> So, yeah, if anybody out there has got any questions, uh, you know, you can uh, message us on Facebook. You can send us an email at. Yeah, I like it. Spookypod at gmail.com. Um, hit us up on any of our socials and, uh, you know, ask us anything you can think of. Horror related is cool, but if it's goofy about what happens if my butt doesn't work, those are awesome, too. And we'll do our best to uh, read them <laughs> and, and, you know, get them answered on the show here. So uh, getting back to the movie review this week, we watched the 1990 Savini night of the living dead remake They're coming to get you, Barbara, Barbara, for the love of God, Johnny, they're horny, Barbara, they've been dead a long time. Look, look, there's one of them now. He wants you. (laughs) I'm just going to jump into it. This was one of the early movies that I remember seeing when I was younger that I guess I wasn't that young in 1990. I was, oh, wait, 90, right? Yeah. So I was 12. I remember seeing it when I was young and 
scaring the crap out of me as, you know, a youth. I loved it. Kind of still holds up. I had posters on my wall. Fangoria, I, you know, Fangoria was going pretty strong back then still. And so you walk into most kids' you know, bedrooms when they're 12 years old and there's pop culture, you know, whatever their their favorite band or their favorite sports star. Yeah, I had a giant life-size Jason Takes Manhattan poster in my room. I had a poster from Night of the Living Dead 1990. Do you remember the, he was like the bald zombie that breaks into the house and he was thin and almost was jaundiced. You know, he was yellow and I had a giant poster of that with his mouth all open coming at me. Yeah. Do you still have those posters? God, I wish I do. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Damn it. There's the collector again. Yep. <laughs> so wait, we did Night of the Living Dead 1990 because in a couple weeks, like a week, we will all be together in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, where they are doing Living Dead Weekend and they are having a Night of the Living Dead 1990 reunion. Tony Todd, uh, Patricia Tallman, Tom Savini... I believe almost everyone from the movie is going to be there. I think the only person not is Tom Towles, and that's because he played Harry Cooper in the movie. That's, of course, he, he passed away uh, a couple years ago, I think. Well, and Judy Rose, the, the girl, has not been announced yet. Is that the daughter? No, no, no. She'll, she'll be there. Uh, the girlfriend of the young guy whose house it was. Like, it was his uncle's house. Tommy. She was the one who was driving the truck. Tommy's girlfriend, yeah. So, uh... I know last episode we talked about, we gave you guys a choice, and the choice was Night of the Living Dead, all four. So we had already made the choice. We just kind of thought it would be fun to give you guys a choice on what one of the four you wanted us to watch. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way not to cover this movie when we're getting ready to go to Living Dead Weekend. Um, And for those of you that don't know, I mean, Brian just talked about it a little bit, but Living Dead Weekend is at the Monroeville Mall, where the original 1978 Dawn of the Dead was shot. Um, you guys have already covered Dawn of the Dead, and th- this is the perfect movie to cover since, uh, I mean, inkmirrors.com, I'm going to be there with a, a table, you know, slinging t-shirts and stuff as a vendor. Um, Brian and Jason are coming down as fans, and of course, I'm sure we're all going to be promoting the show a little bit, but yeah, perfect movie to cover for this event. So Yeah, and uh, Jason and I actually are driving together. We're going to leave on Thursday sometime. I got the day off. He's going to get off early, and we're going to do the I Like It Spooky podcast tour of Pennsylvania make some stops and take some pictures and kind of put them on our socials so everybody can see where we go. I want to see cool pictures of like you guys like in front of the largest ball of twine or something like that <laughs> with goofy ass <laughs> smiles, you know, yeah. pit stop number four. I'm thinking a picture of like me with my neck broke laying on a stu- tombstone <laughs> in, the, in the cemetery. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that though, like I loved how they paid homage to the original movie kind of remaking it a little bit and how creepy that was with Bill Mosley doing the whole spiel like, oh, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Wonderful. So it was kind of weird. A couple of years ago, I was looking into this movie again. I was just looking at the IMDb page and it says Bill Mosley was in it. And I'm like, what? Bill Mosley? Like, I've seen this movie a hundred times. He's not recognizable. His voice is, but he's not recognizable. Oh. Yeah, so after I saw that, I'm like, he play- he did what? So I went back and I watched it, and I'm like, okay. I saw her brother, and I'm like, no, that's not him. And then, I, yeah, like you said, I heard him talking a little bit, and I'm like, that is him. Because, of course, I didn't really know him until, like, his later fame of, you know, Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses. So that, that was just kind of mind-blowing, just to have him in it and be in one of my favorite movies. And now, 
I get to meet him coming up. I'm super excited for that. I met Bill once at a, an event here in Michigan. I had him sign an Otis action figure that I have from House of a Thousand Corpses. But uh, yeah, yeah, pretty nice guy. Fun to meet. Glad I got his autograph. You know, he he kind of had fame before Night of the Living Dead 1990 in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 as Chop Top. Everybody knows him as Chop Top. And that's that's the earliest role that I can think of that he was in. I'm sure there was other things, but yeah, he was great as Johnny in the night, uh, 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead. Like you say, he, he wasn't recognizable, but I don't know if there was anybody else to replace Russ Striner, you know, in that role for this remake. It was because Russ, Russ Striner played the original Johnny with, you know, the, the now famous, they're coming to get you, Barbara. And so he had some big shoes to fill and he did a good job. Yeah, that whole cemetery scene was freaking terrifying with like the old guy kind of walking up and I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I joke around like that sometimes when I bump into people. I'll I'll kind of say it like that, you know? Like mainly my wife, not just random strangers. <laughs> like Oh, do the random strangers. There we go. I'll just start doing that at cons. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, just terrifying. The first zombie, they kind of get right into it, you know? Where he's saying they're coming to get you, and then look, there's one now. And then they're focused on that guy, and like, oh, hey, do you need help? And then all of a sudden, bam, zombie attack. Well, and then Bill Mosley is Johnny. He threw, you know, they changed it up just a little bit where he's like, they're coming for you, Barbara. Look, they're horny. They've been dead a long time, you know, and it just threw some, some kind of more modern humor in there. It wasn't as clean cut. One of the things I really loved about the film was. From the beginning and throughout the whole film, I don't think it, they didn't necessarily set out to make a, a period piece. You know what I mean? Like you don't look at it and go, oh, I'm in 1960s or oh, I'm in, you know, whatever. Because, of course, the original was made 1968. But everything is so plain. It doesn't really ha- It's just it's within its own time, if that makes any sense. Nothing stands out and says, this is 1990. This is 1980, whatever. It's just there. I bet Johnny was happy to be dead because I was like, if I had to ride with Barbara for a fucking hour, nine hour drive, I'd want to die too. Because the little bit of time they were together in the car, I was like, she's annoying. I'm ready to get out and become a zombie. I'm good to go. They were just bitching at each other the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh my Lord. It was talking about like the relationship with their mother and how he's talking. She he was like, oh, she would never drive two and a half hours to see anybody. And <laughs> that's why she was buried out this far to make us drive. And Now, in the original, wasn't it their father they were going to visit? I think in the original, it was their father. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. If, I'm going to have to go back and watch. Now, I've seen the movie. I couldn't even tell you how many freaking times, you know. But if I'm right, because there, there's a lot of subtle changes from the original to this remake. Some some of them I question, not that I care because it doesn't affect the film, but little things like that where why was it the father in the original and the mother in the remake, you know? But one of the biggest changes that they made to this movie, which is apparent if you have seen it, is in the original, Barbara is the stereotypical shy, meek woman. Um, and Patricia Tallman, who played Barbara in the remake, she's got short hair. Um, you watch her kind of go through a, a small arc where you think she's going to be that, but I mean, she's not. She's a strong, fierce, independent woman. She fights back. She doesn't break down, and she winds up being kind of the the heroine or, or the 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 leader of the group in the film. Yeah, and like you said, they get right to it in this movie. You're five minutes in, and you got the first death when the brother Johnny falls and breaks his neck on the tombstone, and then it just doesn't stop. And for an hour and twenty eight minutes, it's just balls to the wall. It keeps going and going and going and <laughs> I think we talked about this in past episodes. 
you get me something that's under an hour and a half or around an hour and a half, sign me up. I'm in. And they don't. They don't waste time in this one, which you don't need to. There's not a lot to say. People coming back from the dead and they're trying to eat you. What, what more do you need to say? Well, yeah, that first few minutes, we've already named like a lot of memorable stuff. Uh, what Johnny was saying, the sorry guy, the zombie who attacked, and then the guy who, I guess, who was, he came out of his coffin there. You know, he, he, you see him walking up and his clothes start to slowly pull down and you see from the back, all the clothes are split, which that gave me a lot of questions. I never noticed until I, I did a refresher watch uh, last night or the night before. You see the bottom of his balls. <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. See yeah, I wasn't looking for it. I was just watching the movie going, yeah, I remember this scene. I was like, oh man, I just saw the bottom of his balls. Uh, That's it. I got to watch it again. Well, yeah, I was like, so they don't have like regular clothes on these people? They like the fucking backs open? That's a question I truly have. Do they do they really do that? No, they, they do. I had a, a friend two years ago uh, and he's not anymore because it was getting to him, but he was funeral not a funeral director but i mean he prepared bodies he embalmed people yeah yeah and stuff like that and um yeah that's that's what they would do he actually had to get he had to get out of it um because he said that he saw things on deceased women that affected him when he tried to have a relationship with women outside of work when he said outside of work i'm like did he have a relationship with women in work i don't know but <laughs> but actually and, and kind of a i somber note he said the main reason that he got out of that was he had to prepare a small child one time and he's just that's it he says i'm done but yeah that's that's uh you know that's how i was told they do it so yeah and that was terrifying watching him walking up and his clothes slowly coming down you see the the autopsy cuts and man how scary and patricia tallman i thought she was fantastic in this movie oh yeah yeah like her acting her her the terror was on point when she gets finally gets to the farmhouse in uncle reg or reg is you're about to see him like her facial expressions i believe she was truly terrified like from her actions yeah phenomenal acting this cheapens everything you just said but i've always had a thing for, for patricia tallman i have a thing for redheads especially short ones so i mean i've always found her attractive um but no, I agree with you completely. Her, her acting was stellar. Everybody's acting in this was stellar. Probably one of the, 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 the my favorite actors in this movie was the late Tom Towles. Um, and I can't really pinpoint it for you. I just, I enjoyed his portrayal as Harry Cooper. I thought everybody's acting at times was almost theatrical and a little over the top. Not to say that it wasn't great, but Tom Towles played it straight, played a straight Harry Cooper, made you hate him. Yeah, great, great cast you can kind of relate with him. Like all of a sudden you're thrown in this shit show and the world's crashing down around you. I would want to hide away too. I, he was, I'm sure, I mean, he was wearing a tuxedo, so he was probably like upper class, not used to having to do everything for himself. So he was just trying to run and hide. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can't really knock him for that. What well, one of the, uh, one of the smartest men in zombie films, because what did Harry Cooper do at the end of the movie? a twist from the original. He barricaded himself up in the attic, pulled a little string from the drop door, and he's the one who survived. Well, sort of. I kind of related most with uh, the girlfriend, you know, the guy, the young guy's girlfriend that, you know, said hasn't been announced yet. But, like, you have Harry and you have Tony Todd's character and they're fighting the whole fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And she finally is like, we're trying to fucking survive and you assholes are fighting the whole fucking time. Like, I don't know if it was meant to be 
a political statement or a statement in general from the movie. But like, I kind of feel like that's how a lot of people feel a lot of times at work and in general, like you always have these people that are going back and forth at each other. And then you have this middle group that's like, can we just get through the fucking day? Right. We don't even have to get along. Just shut the fuck up. Right. Yeah. Like I'm sure Jason has people at his job and I know I do. And Clint, I'm sure you do that. They don't get along, but they just, they bicker and fight all fucking day. You know, you're just like, okay, I understand. I don't like you, but I can get through my day and get my stuff done and go home. And I feel like that's where the majority of the cast was. These two just keep wanting to fight, and you know, all the time when they were when he was going to take the TV down to the basement towards the end of the movie, he's like, "I wasn't going to take it down there. You can't get reception in the fucking basement." All because yeah. you know you didn't agree with each other and wanted to fight. You're, you're jumping all sorts of ahead, but that's that's something that I wanted to bring up too. Like, do you guys think he was trying to take it down to the basement? I do. I I kind of feel like he was too. And then maybe he just thought later on to say, like, oh, I wasn't. Because it's weird. He was going that way. And even when they're fighting for it, he's still trying to pull towards the basement. He was totally taking that thing downstairs. He just got lucky when he got caught and came up with a a, a sensible answer to get him out of it. But, yeah. Harry, Harry Cooper, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, his role in the film, he's an anta- antagonistic. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he his role is to make you kind of... And even though there are moments where you can relate with him and agree with him, I think in general, he's kind of the villain of, of the cast, you know? Yeah. He was totally trying to, trying to take that TV for himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wondered that's, that's kind of how I felt. Cause he's still trying to pull it that way and just, but then he's, he was right though. You can't get reception down there probably. Right. So getting back to the opening of this movie, the fact that Patricia Tallman's character was just thrown into this like world and, just trying to run and find somewhere to go. I thought Tony Todd's entrance into the movie was was great. So she's just on the porch, like alone in the world, and all of a sudden she sees a truck coming down the road. Or you focus on this zombie with like the smushed in face looking thing or whatever. And yeah, he's got like the big caveman brow, or whatever. big forehead, and yeah, yeah. And then Tony Todd comes flying in and smashes into him. And I thought when I was watching that part, I'm like, man, I was like, I hope he knows he was dead. <laughs> I mean, the way he the way he was walking, you probably knew, or that could have just been like the the homeowner. And nope, just take him out. Maybe maybe that guy was just staggering back from the bar. He didn't know what the hell was going on, and all of a sudden, blammo! Well, and then you wonder how long this stuff was going on because they were driving in a car like out in the country for two and a half hours, and it's almost like it happened. It's almost like it must have happened like the second after they left the house. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to tell because in the original, they do. A lot of um, radio broadcasting. They do a lot of television broadcasting to kind of fill you in on the story and the you know the possible origins of what's going on. Uh, and this one, they they didn't. So no, but that was just an amazing entrance. And I guess we can talk about it now. Like when Uncle Reed was like up at the stairs, like after the hand kind of crawls on its own. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cheesy, but it was it was good. You know. She's standing there looking up and she sees this hand crawling off the thing and it falls on her and knocks her down. And that was just a great scene where he comes walking up just slowly leaning over the rail and like coming down on her or closely coming down on her. I kind of felt like he was kicking it 
like the zombie was kicking it. All oh, you think floor. so? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, when it, when you first watch it, it looks like it's a hand moving on its own the way it's kind of, and it probably was in the shot. And then they, I, I can't remember now, but if they cut and edited, but yeah, it was, it was him. He was too big to bend over and pick it up. Kind of like Charlie Chaplin bending over to pick up his hat and he keeps kicking his hat forward. So he has to keep bending over to pick it up. Oh, good point. Well, but the nap scene where he comes crashing down, she gets out of the way. And she like almost has a sense of relief that she got out of the way. And then he starts to move and the panic in her face was just like, Oh shit, go. And then that's when she like leaves the house and sees, isn't that when she sees Tony Todd coming up the road? Yeah, That's when he comes up the road. Yeah. Such a great entrance though, though. He kind of grabs her and is like, are you okay? You know, like waving his hand in front of her to see if she's with the world, you know, kind of, if she's not zoned out. Also like Clint said, like in the original, she was, in a comatose state the whole movie pretty much she really didn't do much so you kind of think that you have the same thing going here but then she snaps out of it pretty quick and she's like okay shit we got to fight well uh, you know i don't know if it's uh well the dynamics of the two because they're both super similar i mean i've watched the original a gajillion times i've seen the remake quite a few times to the point where when i watch one or the other i forget which film that i'm watching because there are enough differences in, you know, characters and how they react to things or certain little things that happen or the order of things. So I'll be watching the black and white waiting for, you know, something waiting for Harry Cooper to drop the TV down the stairs. And he does that. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, that's right. That's that's the other one. I think what you know, the original, it dealt a lot with um, communism was the theme brought up. The zombies are all going to make you like them. And then there was a lot of, um, you know, racial stuff going on in the late 60s. I mean, there was a lot of racial stuff going on in the world. Of course, there was the issue of George Merrill, you know, casting uh, Dwayne Jones as Ben as the lead, which was unheard of to have a black man as a lead of a movie at that time. But what I don't hear a lot of people talk about is the end of the original Night of the Living Dead. Ben, Dwayne Jones, the Ben character comes out of the basement. He's alive. And you got the rednecks outside and they're looking there. The guy's clearing all the fields. And they see him and they shoot him. And you never know, did they shoot him because he was a black man and they were, you know, rural white guys? Or did they shoot him because they thought he was a zombie? So now, flash forward to this 1990 remake, that stuff's not even really discussed or touched on. It's almost like the the topic of the time was women's empowerment. You know what I mean? Because again, Ben, the Ben character played by Tony Todd, who did a phenomenal job playing Ben, but he actually was more emotional in this. You know, he was kind of up and down where Dwayne Jones, Ben character in the original, was straight laced, straight shooter, just, you know, we're going to get through this. It went from racism to women's lib and all about zombies. <laughs> no, it's true, though. You talk about, uh, about Dwayne Jones' character, and I remember seeing shows where they talk about that, where he slapped the white woman, and that was just unheard of at the time. And mm-hmm. I guess, you know, Romero was more progressive than a lot of the world at the time, which kind of sucked. Wish more of the world was like that. And it's almost like Tom Savini tried to be the same with this, with the, with the 1990 version that he directed was he took the, the issues of the time, tried, tried to do the same thing and, and, and replicate his friend, George Romero's film. So, but you know, it was interesting as you're talking about how um, Patricia Tallman's Barbara, how she was strong willed and everything. Do you remember the scene in the original with the music box? And she's looking, Barbara's looking through the music box and it spins. It's a great scene. And the music box spins and then it opens and you see her face and then it closes and it spins and you just hear the music box music. And that's when she really gets into that catatonic state. The Barbara in this 1990 remake, if you watch, the music box gets knocked over and you hear it in the background. 
And that's about the scene where you've already kind of noticed that Barbara is a badass in this flick. But that's the scene where she full bore grabs the gun and says, fuck this. I'm taking everybody out. Listen to what I have to say. I know what to do. Uh, and I thought that was a great way to to compare those transitions. Very good. Yeah. Looking more into it than I did. Yeah, I wish they would have turned the volume up in the music box because honestly, again, I've seen this movie a, a whole bunch of times and it wasn't until this refresher where I, I had seen it get knocked over before and I remember seeing it, but I just didn't pay it much attention. But for whatever reason, this time I heard it was real, real quiet in the background. I heard the music playing as that scene unfolded. And I'm like, oh, I get what's going on. Okay. Well, and then that's when we meet, you know, the Harry Cooper, all them, like after... It kind of switches to night, though, before they, they they come out. Yeah. Kind of wonder what time it was, like how much time went, but it seems like it went from day to night pretty quick, like after they were in the house. and Yeah, the sun was dropping just about the time Ben, sh- ben showed up at twilight. Yep, then we meet all the other characters, and of course, Harry's the asshole. And I mean, and his daughter's his daughter got bit. He's got that weighing on him. and It wasn't very nice to his wife, either. Yeah. I kind of thought that the whole time. I was like, God, this guy's an asshole. I Mm -hmm. feel bad for his wife. And then she has her moments where she comes up and she's like, she's more helpful than he is. Mm -hmm. You know, because of course she wants to get out and get help for their daughter. I just wish that the kids driving the truck would have not shot the damn. All they had to do (laughs) is get the lock off. They weren't paying attention. All of a sudden it's a Beekman's Diner Barbecue. I know we're talking about 1990 and I keep comparing the original to 90, which... It's kind of hard not to, but in the 1990 remake, you don't see the zombies eating people. And again, there's not a lot of news coverage. There's not a lot of radio coverage in the remake. And it isn't until later on, Barbara actually escapes the house. I'm kind of jumping over some stuff and decides she's taken off. Everybody else is pretty much done for. Ben's been shot, says, I'm not going. I'm hurt bad. Go ahead. Harry Cooper's been shot. He's hiding in the attic. Barbara's the only one left alive. She takes off and she's running past where the the truck exploded and it's the first time which we're we're three quarter we're almost done with this movie and that's when she sees the zombies are pulling the kids out of the car and eating them and that's when they're eating the mice and that's when they're eating worms out of the ground and fighting over hands and her reaction you're talking about her her acting and her reactions she almost threw up she was appalled and you believed it that she had this feeling in her stomach but oh my god because in the original we already knew at that point these were flesh eaters Right? Wasn't that what the original was going to be called, Flesh Eaters? I believe it was something like that. And I know, I know, Bill Hitzman, who played the uh, the the original zombie, did a f- movie called Flesh Eaters. But you know, so by in the original, we knew they were flesh eaters by by now. But here, you don't know it till you're almost all the way through the movie. If you've never seen anything of the Living Dead, it was interesting the reveal. That's how you find out is her getting away. Yeah, since we're talking about that, also that was one of my favorite scenes. It's you know after everything had kind of gone down and it was just her left. Well, other people were left, but she was out on her own, kind of runs out. And then it goes to a couple minutes of just showing zombies, like kind of stumbling around, eating stuff, doing stuff. So I thought that was a great transition to kind of show like, oh, shit, zombies are taking over. Like everybody's screwed here. So it just kind of shows that where they're they're done for. There's no hope for her. It was kind of an odd transition for me because, like you said, Clint, through the whole movie, you don't really see a lot. You see... They shoot some of the zombies. There's not a lot of blood and guts in that. Um, you see the guy fall down. You see the guy that's upstairs that had been shot or killed himself. Um, you see the daughter bite the mom, but you don't really see it. You just see blood splatter. It was a weird transition because it went from like, oh, we're kind of PG-13 on this end. 
and then you see the zombies pulling out the barbecued bodies and they're eating and you're like okay we're 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 rated R now. We're going to eat mice's heads off and, you know, we're just going to go balls to the wall. And then it kind of transitioned back when she shot the zombie in the head. You kind of see the shot, but you don't really see much. So it was just kind of an odd transition for me to go from like all of that to like foot on the pedal. You know, we're, we're going straight forward with this one. Right. Well, and again, if you're not familiar with the story and you're watching 1990, you, it's it's established that they're zombies. You know what I mean? It's established mm-hmm. that they're the living dead. You need to shoot them in the head to kill them. But it's almost like they're just murderers. They just they just want chaos. They just want you dead. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's that's what drives them. So, yeah, it's not till later on you realize, like, oh, it's not that they want me dead. They want to eat me. <laughs> I wonder how the movie would have progressed if, uh, you know, Harry's daughter hadn't finally died and then bit her mom and then came up. That was shortly after, of course, Harry stole the gun from Patricia Tallman's character. What was her name? Barbara. Jesus. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I know. So after he stole the gun from her, they Tony Todd was locked out of the house. Ben was locked out of the house trying to get back in. And and a badass, a badass Tony Todd was fighting all. I mean, he was just fighting his way through hordes of zombies, you know, mm-hmm. doing nut punches mm-hmm. and fireman carries. And yeah, <laughs> he had some like Johnny Cage moves, you know. <laughs> and I was thinking that's a question I want to ask him when I meet him, like, the scene where they're about to take the truck, go to the gas pump, and he sees Barbara is struggling to get one of the zombies out of the door. Mm-hmm. And he runs back up there and uh, with his flaming torch and helps get the guy out. And the zombie had grabbed uh, Harry's wife, and she was trying to help out. But they ended up getting him off, and then Tony Todd Ben sets the uh, zombie on fire. I kind of want to know, he also set the house on fire? That looked real. That... That looked like it, it was an accident while they were shooting. I, that's that's what I want to know. So I think it was an accident. He's like, oh, shit, fire. And he puts it out with his hand and just keeps going with the scene. If that was, like, intentional, that was great. But it seemed like it was just, you know, off the cuff. And Tom Savini was probably like, yes, keep that one. I've done... I've done film shoots where I've lit myself and other things on fire. <laughs> and I can tell you by that reaction, it was real because I've, I've run across that before. I'm like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. And you just put it out. But it's like, hey, that looks pretty cool. We're going to leave it in, you know. And he just kept going with it. And that's when he was badass, kicking everybody's ass and trying to get back to the truck. Well, thankfully, he wasn't in the truck. If you notice in the original for that scene, they threw out Miletoff cocktails from the from the top, you know, from the um, second floor of the house to keep the zombies back. This one they didn't, and that wouldn't have happened. You know that them not doing that in the remake allowed the zombie to try to get in the house, so he had to get out and fight his way through. And yeah, yeah, I wondered how much of the fighting was choreographed when he was like trying to get through all the zombies, or if they're just like just go see how it goes, see what happens. Like you know, maybe do a fireman carry and this, that, and other. But like how much of it was like okay, we're just gonna. We're just going to shoot it and see what happens. See, I was wondering how mu- how much actual contact there was because I mean I know Tony Todd's professional. I know you know it was a professional film shoot, but when you watch stuff like that, it's like there's so much chaos. It's like I wonder how many people actually got punched in the nose, you know, on accident. No, I, it kind of reminded me like we talk about wrestling a lot, Clint, but like you know somebody comes out on wrestling and there's like 50 referees and they got to get to the ring, so they're like fighting all these people to get to the ring and then they finally get there you know like they always get through that you know they always get through to the person that's you know they're not supposed to get to because there's 
a match on WrestleMania in two weeks and they have to, they can't fight tonight because they have to wait until the pay-per-view. And I was like, that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like he's trying to get to the guy. That's how you know, that's how you know if it's fake or not. Watch if he stomps his foot as he throws the punch, you know, wrestlers, they always stomp the ring when they hit you to make that sound. But yeah, that was one of the good parts of the movie too. Like he's fighting and I almost felt like he was just pissed. He's like, I don't need to hit this zombie over here, but I'm going to hit him anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to pick this zombie up and like, you know, fireman carry him and throw him down, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like at one point, uh, Barbara says, they're so slow. We could just walk right by him. And he's like, oh no, that's too dangerous. (laughs) When she gets out and leaves, she just walks right by him. (laughs) It worked for her, but not for him. I think that was sad how Tony Todd went out in this movie also. Fighting all the movies, being a badass, but in, in the end it was it was Harry who took him out essentially. Their little gunfight that they had. I don't know I don't know what you guys thought about this, but I wondered so he even acted as a zombie and you know, he, he comes up at the end out and Barbara's standing there with a couple of the guys that she met on the road. He's a zombie. He looked fantastic with the with the glazed over pale eyes. But it was almost like he looked at Barbara and it was like he had some residual, you know, he knew her. He was trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, and Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but. No, exactly. I think you're right. They say in Dawn of the Dead that we covered not too long ago that the zombies were coming back to the mall because they were remembered. That was something they had a memory of. So mm-hmm. I wonder if that in the zombie universe is kind of a thing that like zombies have a little bit of a memory. You know, so like you said, when he looked, he's like, I know her from somewhere. But he didn't have enough left that he was like, oh, that's Barbara. We just spent two days together fighting zombies. Right. Just something sparked in his reanimated brain that was like, I just you know, like maybe it's because of the, the traumatic experience he had shared just hours before or whatever. I remember seeing uh, when she when uh, Barbara left the house, you know, close to the end of the movie. I remember seeing something where she was supposed to run into her mother. They had to cut it out or do something for no. What 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 that what that was what that was and, and I'm almost certain I'm right. I could be wrong on this, but when she's leaving the house and she kind of gets up the hill where the house is, you know, a few hundred yards back, and there's the the zombie woman holding the baby doll. The doll. If I remember correctly, it wasn't supposed to be a doll. And, and anybody listening to this, please cor- correct me if I'm wrong and, and send a message on socials and let me know because I need to research this because I'm curious, but I'm pretty sure that it was supposed to be a baby. And I don't know if it was supposed to be a zombie baby or an eaten baby or Barbara was supposed to, sh- but it was something with a baby that in 1990, they were like, this is too fucked up. We're not going to do it. We're going to cut this. Give her a baby doll. It would have added shock value. And But I'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that because um, I really think this film had enough subtle changes that made it just as good. I'm not going to say better, but just as good as the original. And I think if they would have done anything with a baby, that's what the movie would be known for. Oh yeah, for sure. Been known for that zombie baby or the eaten baby or whatever. Yeah. I almost wonder though, cause she kills that zombie. She doesn't need to. It's, I mean, it's not really a threat to her. She can walk away from it, but you almost wonder if it reminded her of somebody or reminded her of her mother. And she was kind of like, I'm going to kill it to take some frustration out on what has just happened. It was like a sympathy kill. It was like, I feel bad for you and I feel bad that I have to do this to you, but I'm going to, she made some sort of connection with that specific zombie. And, you know, I said, I'm going to put you out of your, put you out of your misery. So another question for you guys here. So after that scene, she gets shot at by the local. She dives into the truck. 
she runs into Johnny. Um, he's in the back of the truck. Do you think he turned back into a zombie because he died from a traumatic, traumatic like head injury, like bashing on the tombstone? Oh, I see what you're saying. I was gonna say, well, yeah, because he's dead, and all the recently dead are coming back. But you're, I see what you're saying. He died naturally, the way that zombies have to die to die. Right. So I wonder. But then I'm like, would they have just picked him up in a cemetery and tossed him in the back of the truck? Maybe they would have. Or did was he a zombie and they killed him and then tossed him into that? I think he was a zombie because he had that glazed over eye. And I'm not a trauma expert, but I don't think he'd have that same glazed over eye as like Tony Todd did when he was a zombie. Just from, you know, getting bit. Seems like if anything, his eye would have shot out like an evil dead or something like that from the force of his head hitting a tombstone. So, yeah, I'm going to say he was zombie. Yeah. Well, there we go. Now, maybe when I meet Savini, that could be my question, just because I'm I'm legit curious. Was he alive? Was he dead? Well, and I thought that, too, because I at one point, I think Tony Todd says, yeah, I've seen a guy come back to life or a zombie with his neck broken. So, like, was he walking around with, like, his, you know, head, like, hanging off? We don't see what happens after she leaves. You know, maybe the zombie bites him and then goes right after her. Well, I mean, this is a crazy compar- comparison, but we're, we're, it's in the same universe. Have you guys seen Land of the Dead? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a long time ago, but yeah. So I don't know if you remember, but there's a zombie in Land of the Dead who walks up and has no head. And I don't remember the the, the human in the scene. Didn't pay it much attention, thought it was kind of weird and couldn't figure out where its head was to kill it. And then it flipped its head forward. It was held on by like a flap of skin and it like kind of like, you know, bent down and the head flew forward and bit the guy. So same, same universe. Yeah. Maybe it needs that direct, not even necessarily head trauma because you see in all zombie films, you know, which are based off Romero's that, you know, uh, Tony Todd did it to the zombie in the beginning of this film who walked on the porch. He hit him in the head two or three times with two by four and dust was flying off his head. But it's not until you really penetrate that skull and hit the brain matter penetrate it's such a dirty word i'm sorry we're so serious man i had to you know when when we decided to discuss this movie we had all talked about this is such a straightforward movie i don't know if we're gonna have anything to talk about and we don't really script on this show we kind of hit some bullet points but we just let it naturally happen so yeah i'm really glad that we've had a chance there's a lot of subtleties between the original and this one and, and even this one alone to discuss this is great but it got so serious that I had to... Yeah, to lighten the mood a little <laughs> bit. Huh? So Barbara finds Johnny in the back of the truck. You know, the locals shoot at her. You know, they realize she's a real person, so they let her go and take her to a camp. She wakes up. She kind of sees all these people, rednecks, hillbillies, whatever you want to call them. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the I Like a Spooky podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by John Deere. Nothing runs like a deer. I've kind of taken matters into their own hands. They're doing all kinds of stuff that they should not be doing. You know, the one guy's wrestling the drinking a beer and wrestling the zombie and the, you know, the other people have zombies hanging from the tree and they're shooting at them and she's upset, but you know, she kind of catches herself and maybe realizes the group that she's in and, oh yeah, I'm having a blast, having a great time. Goes back to the house for the end of the movie, using a chainsaw to open the basement up. Tony Todd kind of walks out and like Clint says, has that spark of, I know something, but you don't know what he knows. He's a zombie. They shoot Tony Todd. His guy's an awful shot. He shoots like four times along the wall before he finally hits him. Right. Well, that, that scene was hilarious too. Cause like you hear when she's walking in the house, the guy's got the chainsaw and he's like just revving it, playing with it, you know? 
he was waiting for his cue for her to walk into the room for them to actually cut the wood. Right. There was only one wood bar holding that door. Like, you don't have it cut by now, right? I thought that was funny. I was like, okay, okay, now cut it. Go. And then, uh, so you're sad. Tony Todd's become a zombie. He's dead. Um, and then the other guy. Oh, Harry Cooper. Harry Cooper comes down the stairs um, because he hears, you know, a ruckus and comes out. And I can't remember what he says, but uh, he, he just he repeats. He's like, you've came back. You came back. Barbara shoots him, kills him. And the guys are just kind of like standing there. I'm like looking at Harry. And she's like, there's another one for the fire. And I would imagine that he doesn't have glazed over eyes and he doesn't look like a zombie. And they're just like, eh, whatever. I figured I figured his eyes was closed. His eyes were closed. I thought it was a continuation of, of the the women's lib theme that I was that was present throughout the movie. Was I think that was the the first point where those guys who were you know like I said rural macho you know manly men type guys whatever and they probably didn't think this little girl could take care of herself type thing. That was the first time they really saw her in action, and they're like, "Holy shit, look at her!" You know. Yeah, I kind of felt like they would know he wasn't a zombie. And they're just like, eh, what the fuck ever. She, she's not shooting me. I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, she had some frustrations to take out, and sorry that guy was one of them. You know, backing up to where they, they shoot Tony Todd, and you're talking about the guy's a bad shot. He had the machine gun, the M16 there or whatever. Did you notice that, and I don't know if this was a goof or if it was meant to be. This might be another good question to ask Tom Savini if, if it interests you, Jason. But Tony Todd flinches as the squibs. You know what a squib is? Mm-hmm. The squibs where you fill yeah, the, where you fill the condom with blood. So it, the squibs are going off, and they've got a little bit of uh, of gunpowder in there. The squibs are going off, and Tony Todd like flinches two or three times. And it, you could tell that it's in reaction to the squibs. Pop, 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 pop. But I didn't know if it was an accident in his actual reaction, and they were like, or if that was meant to be. Because, again, he had this like little bit of residual. So it's like he knew there were he was being shot at. I don't know. Just a lot of little things like that that make you wonder. Or did it like legit scare him? Knew and knew it was going to pop or something, right? And this was before Candyman for Tony Todd, so maybe that led him into asking for a thousand dollars per beast sting that he got on Candyman. Maybe he's like, okay, if something like that's going on, I need some money for this shit. Well, this was pre Alec Baldwin, so I don't think he was. Maybe he wasn't concerned about blanks and guns and whatever's going to happen on movie sets, right? <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to me to take it from PC. So uh, back back to the camp, you know, Barbara made that one comment and you guys were talking about, you know, the one guy, the biker guy was wrestling the zombie in the pen and there were zombies hanging from the tree getting shot. And it was almost like it was game, a game for everybody. And she says, uh, she says, we're them, they're us and we're them. When, when I was a kid and I first watched it, I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? But now I get it. You know, I, I take it as it's the we're monsters just like they are. You know, where they're just mere images. And so you got to think, of course, the original Night of the Living Dead, all the Dawn of the Dead films, all the Romero films, and specifically this 1991 really laid the groundwork for all of the modern zombies, zombie movies that we see today, mainly The Walking Dead show, you know, and just a lot of the stuff where it's not so much about survival. It's about, you know, man's inhumanity against man, stuff like that. So what do you guys think about the movie? What would you guys rate it? I don't want to get in a habit of rating movies super high because what, but this, that's how do you not rate this? I mean, 10, I, I have to give it a 10 because it just doesn't fail. It's entertaining enough changes just enough to make even your, your diehard original fan interested. I'm not even going to, I can't even do a funny, 
funny anecdote with it. I'll just give this movie a 10, man. Yeah, I'm 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 with you there. I was going to go 9 out of 10 just, you know, I don't didn't want to set the bar that high, but now nah, I'm with you. It's it's pretty damn close. 9.9 heads being smashed on a tombstone. Great movie. One of my favorites from an early age and still is. Brian, what do you think? I'm with you guys. I mean, I think nine and a half. It hits everything that I love about movies. You get right into it. It's short. It's great acting. Great story. What little story there is. You don't need much story. Why throw a big old story into a movie that doesn't need it? So nine and a half barbecued boyfriends that shot the gas tank. Barbecue boyfriends. Barbecue to go. Yeah, barbecue to go. Pretty uh, consensus choice here. Like, everybody likes it. It's one of the few remakes that kind of holds up to the original. I mean, there's not a lot of remakes that you can look at and say, I enjoyed the original. I love the remake. But I could watch both and love both. There's not just a lot of movies that do that. And Tom Savini did really well. I mean, I don't know that you could have cast this movie any better than you did. Nope. And I mean, uh, for, for what clout that we three clowns carry, not that we disagree or argue about movies, but I think this is the first movie even before we started recording together and just discussions we've had, you know, off off camera as friends that we've all really agreed and given a high rating to. So great flick. If you have not seen the 1990 Tom Savini director version of Night of the Living Dead, do yourself a favor, check it out, do yourself a bigger favor and get over to Weekend of the Living Dead, which is going to uh, Monroeville, Pennsylvania, June 10th through the 12th. Check us out. We're going to be there more as fans than anything, but... Yeah, I'm actually hoping to bump into some people that we know, uh, you know, some producers from the Valentine Bluffs film and stuff like that. So it'll be great. So I'd ask you if you have anything coming up, Jason, but I kind of know that you have this coming up. Anything else going on? No. No. <laughs> Trying to save your money until the convention? Oh, I'm fine. I'm ready for it. I'm just okay. trying to decide how much like I'm actually going to spend. And I won't know until I get there. You know, I just kind of got to go. I want to get all the cast signature, but then I'm like, oh, it depends how much it is. Like for some of the lesser known people, I'm not going to pay a ton of money for. I feel if they're like 20 bucks each, sure. Anything above that, uh, I might just get the big three and then call it a day. Well, I'm hoping on the next episode, Jason and I talked about this, Clint, the other day with the Joel Robinson print. Gary Poland's going to be there, ghoulish Gary Poland, who's an amazing artist. And I'm like, I know Jason's probably going to spend a lot of money at his table, but we had talked about as much as we love actors, we're almost becoming as big of fans of these people that do this amazing artwork. Absolutely. There's just so many of them. I mean, I don't have enough walls in my house to put up all the artwork that I keep finding. Yeah. I wish they would put out a thing of the vendors kind of let you know who all's going to be there. Some of the conventions do. And all I know is now Gary Poland because he posted it and the wonderful Eek Mayors will be there. So. So you got anything coming up, Clint? Uh, the same thing, you know, um, and, and I'm in the same boat. I, I'm trying this. This actually uh, what's going to be really cool about uh, Weekend of the Living Dead here, Living Dead Weekend, is we're leaving a day early and the, the girls, my, my three daughters, get out of school and we're going to be loaded up and we're grabbing them and we're heading to Pennsylvania. A lot of the conventions that I do will take, you know, one kid or we'll, we'll bring all three for you know, like one day. But this is like a family trip. So we're all coming down fresh out of school for the summer. So that's going to be interesting. It's going to be great meeting up with you guys there. It's always fun to hang out with you guys in person. But we're also going to do the sightseeing stuff around there. And Jason just earlier today sent me this cool map that he's put together because Creepshow was shot around there. Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead 1990th, I believe, was shot in the vicinity 
Um, so all these great Romero films, of course, he's from Pennsylvania. We're, we're shot around there. So we're going to do a tour as a family and, you know, check all that stuff out. And so close to Pittsburgh, too. Yeah, absolutely. And Pittsburgh's a beautiful town. When I was in high school, I was going to go to Tom Savini's um, School of Makeup. And my, my dad and I, I was 17. My dad and I, over the summer, took a week trip down there to just check out the school and check out the town and look at apartments and jobs and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, beautiful, beautiful area. Of course, this was 20 plus years ago, so I don't know what it looks like now, but it was beautiful back then. I don't know if I'll make it up to Pittsburgh, but I know the surrounding areas and seeing definitely Evans City Cemetery. Yes. I know the the house from the 1991 is kind of like a big no-no. I've heard that. But I guess there is a highway that kind of crosses it and you can see it in a distance. But that's it. Yeah, I think the homeowners just kind of, a lot of people have went on the land and meddled around the house. And they're just like, okay, we get it. That was in a movie. I, I Googled the address for it and Zillow popped up. And I'm like, oh shit, is this house for sale? And then I clicked on it. It's not for sale, but it brought up the sale history. It was sold in 1991 Oh wow! for like $120,000 or something. I kind of wonder, I'm like, when they bought it, did they know this movie was just filmed there? Or did they know like, oh, this little movie, not a big deal was filmed there? I don't know how, maybe if they didn't really know about it, maybe it wasn't a big deal to the homeowner. That'd be a good question to ask. Uh, what, what's that guy that you watch? I forget his name. I'm terrible with names. Oh, Sean Clark. Sean Clark. I wonder if he's gone there. Worth asking him if he knows anything about that. Um, yep. And there's even a sign like on the door when Patricia Tallman's walking out of the front door. It says M. Celeste. So I got to think and I Googled that. I'm like, was that the homeowner at the time? Oh, you were such a stalker. I was, yeah. He's looking up <laughs> death like, records and birth <laughs> records and <laughs> census reports. You could look up like tax records and see who owned it and stuff. Oh, I, it sounds like you know that, yeah. No, I, did, I didn't do that. I just I just did a generic like Celeste, you know, in that address just to see what would come up. But yeah, nothing really did. But Conflicting reports. I've heard people say they went there, they talked to the home and owner, they're really nice. They let them look around, but... They don't want people, just everybody and their brother showing up every weekend or, you know, when the convention's going on and, you know, meddling around the house. But they're more than happy to have people take pictures from the highway. And they kind of know now that the house was in the movie. I thought it would have been cool if, like, the people who put on this convention would have done something like that. Like, hey, we're going to do a little sightseeing tour, like pay this much money and work it out with the homeowner. Like, hey, we'll give you 10 bucks a head for every person we bring if we can just come. Stand in your driveway. We won't go anywhere else, and just like look at the house, you know. Which which they do they do with the with the Monroeville Mall. You know, it's it's kind of kind of the same thing where they give you know you can pay an extra fee to get a ticket to go take a mall tour. You can visit the uh, the airport from Dawn of the Dead where the helicopter you know chop top scene was and stuff like that. But yeah, nothing nothing set up with the uh, local homeowners in the area. That would be cool. So we'll just have to maybe maybe we'll swing by. We'll see how close it is and just be on the highway and take a couple pictures, just be there. This reminds me of a story when my old man, before I came along, he was a biker back in the days in the, the mid to late seventies there and location that he visited of a horror film that was shot in Jackson where I live. Well, I'll have to tell you guys a story sometime. If we ever cover the movie, it's pretty, pretty interesting story. All right. Yeah. Just leave us hanging. That's the hook. <laughs> I'm just waiting for someone to bite so I can set it. Bring us back next episode. That's his trick, huh? <laughs> So we all know what we got going on here in the future. We're going to Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Go from there. See where the world takes us. So you can check us all out on our socials. 
I like it underscore spooky on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. We're all on all the, you know, check out Ink Mares, uh, com. Okay. I didn't know if it had a, a weird underscore like the, I like it spooky podcast. No, but the uh, uh, the Instagram for Ink Mirrors does. The Instagram, someone already had that, which I was shocked. But uh, So if you want to catch Ink Mirrors on Instagram, it's ink.mirrors, M-A-R-E-S. And uh, on Facebook is also as uh, Ink Mirrors, or you can check uh, check me out on uh, facebook.com slash corpsebarn. And that's kind of more of a, a horror persona public figure page where I share. There's a lot of stuff that you know I'm involved with and that all three of us are involved with together. That's kind of the hub right there so and i kind of wanted to give a shout out i know uh, jason's oldest daughter jalen just graduated from college that's a huge deal uh, congratulate jalen she's she's family i mean she's part of the family uh thank you thank you my boss tiffany just graduated with her masters and then her and, uh, finley proceeded to get covid and i've just been living in it and i'm negative so <laughs> i get to go to work every day but um, well, you know they say that you if you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with so if we keep surrounding ourselves with uh, driven, smart people, well, then maybe we can ride their fucking coattails to success, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you check us out next time on the I Like It Spooky podcast. Take care. Bye. <laughs>